Shalom and welcome brothers and sisters. Welcome to the Parable of the Vineyard YouTube live stream. My name is Adam, your host, and I welcome you. Today we're going to be talking about a really interesting topic, your identity in Messiah. This video, well, if I had it my way and included everything that I wanted to include, it probably would have been a five-hour study because, well, maybe even longer. There's so much to discuss regarding this topic, and there's so many lies that have been perpetrated throughout the centuries that we honestly need to take off, remove, and let the word speak for what it really says. So, if you were curious and you were wondering what your true identity in Messiah is, today we're going to dive into that. Let's start with prayer. Heavenly Father, we just come before you and we bless you and praise you and thank you for sending your Son to this earth that through him and through his offering we have forgiveness and healing and atonement. We thank you for all his teachings and showing us how to walk in your way, Father. We ask that anyone that would be listening to this or studying this, that you would bless us with eyes and ears, that we may see and hear your word, that we may be hearers and doers of the same. We bless you and thank you for all you do. Amen and amen. Let's get into the study. And what we're going to do tonight is uh, we're going to be going over an article uh, on our www.parableofthevineyard.com website. Uh, the, the address for this is www.parableofthevineyard.com slash identity. Don't worry if you don't want to spell that out. I'll have it as a link in the description box and as a pinned comment below so that this article is basically all the study notes for everything we're going to be covering today. So if I go too fast um, and you want to study this at your own pace, you can go to the article, study it for yourself, or you may know someone that you want to send this to, but really doesn't care for videos. Uh, they can just read the article the same and get all the same information that we're going to be going over in this video. So with that being said, let's start right now. So who are you? Your identity in Messiah, are you a Jew, a Gentile, Israel, or even a slew of other different uh, names out there? Let's discuss that tonight. So what I'm going to be doing is just reading through my notes here as an article form, and I'll have some extra comments here or there, I'm sure. Um, but let's just go through. So as many of us are beginning to see, the adversary has blinded the masses through subtlety and deceit in nearly every corner of life. In addition, he has also successfully veiled the identity of millions of believers across the earth. If your true identity in Messiah is hidden, then deeper theological lies become much easier to perpetrate. However, that time of deception is coming to a close. Praise be to our Heavenly Father. He it is who gives wisdom and understanding in all things through his Holy Spirit, through Messiah, our great teacher. Our Heavenly Father is doing something special in these last days. Though the earth's darkness and evil are increasing, so is his kingdom of light and truth. Many are being woken up from slumber, hearing the call, the bridegroom comes. Right? He's coming. The end times are here. Look around you. Look what's going on. He's coming. An increasing number of people are being shown the truth, the evil and deception of this world. And there's many different topics about that, but that's for another day. As a result, many are running to our Messiah with true repentance and a sincere desire to serve him, even if they don't fully understand what that entails just yet. When we take that step out of the world and into his arms, we are often faced with the question of who we really are. Today, we would like to share the best understanding we have at this time. 
our true identity in Messiah. So, how history, or better said, his story unfolded. Before we get into the details, let's recap how we arrived to where we are now. We understand that many who are new to the faith will partake in this study. For their benefit, we will retell history, or his story, as briefly as possible. Basically, we're going to summarize uh, the history according to the Bible, according to the scriptures of how we got to where we are right now. Elohim, that's the Hebrew term for God, created everything in this world through his son, the word Messiah, including us, the heavens, the earth, the seas, and all that is contained within. Everything you see around you, the trees, the clouds, the birds, the animals, the, the fishes, the whales, the flower, everything, he created it. The fall from perfection started with Adam and Eve who broke the one commandment that they were given. Mankind fell from the Garden of Eden and were placed into this world. Evil multiplied through the generations until the first end of the world came through the great flood. Noah, his wife, three sons, and their wives were saved by listening to Elohim, listening to God, and building the ark as they were instructed. After the flood subsided, the whole earth repopulated through the three sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Once again, men loved evil rather than good, and wickedness increased on the earth. However, Abraham was selected amongst them to be uh, amongst them all to be taking to Elohim to God as his own possession. He and his descendants forever. This lineage became known as Israel through his grandson Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel. Due to a famine, they were led into Egypt and built it up to become the world empire, and eventually they became enslaved in it. Yet Yahuwah, that's our, the Hebrew name for our Heavenly Father, God, in His mercy raised up Moses and Aaron to deliver His people and bring them out of slavery with a mighty hand. Plagues and wonders increased. After being led out of Egypt, the nation of Israel was taken to Mount Sinai, where they entered into covenant with their Creator, likened to a marriage. Covenant is like a marriage. They were given promises and rules to follow through the Torah, which is known as his instructions. On, in many of the English versions, it will be called his law. After 40 years of wandering the desert, the next generation made it into the promised land as their parents were disobedient and were not allowed to enter because of their disobedience to the Torah or the law. Israel eventually settled into the promised land but refused to keep his Torah, his laws. For many years, they were plagued by nearby nations as punishment. Between the lessons learned through these hardships that they encountered and judges that were raised up to deliver them, they were led back to Yah, that's the shortened name of our Heavenly Father, and his Torah for a time. After some time, they yet again fell into rebellion as soon as they became comfortable. Sound familiar? A few generations later, David was raised up, a true man after Yah's heart, who exemplified how to love him and his people with all his heart, reverencing the Torah or the law of Yah. The kingdom thrived during his reign, and he was promised that one of his descendants would rule on the throne forever, a foreshadow and prophecy of our great Messiah. David died, and Solomon his son took over, but after him, the nation of Israel was split into two kingdoms, the northern ten tribes, known as Israel or Ephraim, and southern kingdom, which was Judah, which became known as the Jews. Some of David's descendants who became kings were good and ruled with the Torah. Some, however, were evil and rebelled against the Elohim and his Torah. 
The northern house was overtaken and sent into captivity. The prophet Jeremiah records that they were divorced. The southern kingdom fell into massive apostasy, just as the northern had, and were taken into Babylon, held there for 70 years until they were allowed to return. This is the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. The temple and the city were rebuilt, yet they were never really able to shake their polluted ways and rebellion to his Torah. Then came our Messiah many years later, the promised one to come, our very own creator, the word made flesh and walked the earth, healing, teaching, and prophesying of greater things to come, the gospel or the good news of the kingdom. He walked in and taught faithfully the Torah, the law of Elohim, our God, and showed us how to do it. He demonstrated the difference between and his disdain for the man-made laws that were added to his father's law, and in some cases elevated elevated above. So in some cases, man-made laws were um, elevated above God's law. Ultimately, he was rejected by the Jews and eventually crucified, the most brutal of executions known to man. He rose again to eternal life and was revealed to his apostles and others for many days, continuing to reveal the scriptures and truth. On Pentecost, which is one of the seven feast days of Yah, the apostles were given the Holy Spirit and power to spread the good news of faith, forgiveness, baptism, repentance, and a newness of life through Messiah Yahusha. If you're unfamiliar with this name, Yahusha is the Hebrew name that we better understand, or Messiah, as opposed to what most of us were saved in the name of Jesus. Um, we don't make a big deal out of the names. However, many of us have recognized that the letter J wasn't even invented until 500 years ago, and that when he walked this earth, people didn't call him Jesus. Uh, that is a Jesus has a transliteration from Hebrew into Greek and then translation from Greek into English. Um, some of us know him as Yeshua. Some of us know him as Yahusha or Yeshua. We don't make a big uh, deal out of that. We understand our Savior's name best at this time as Yahusha. So, a newness of life through Messiah Yahusha. The early assembly church consisted of Jews and eventually Gentile converts into the way. A renewed understanding of walking in faith and obedience. The apostles and fellow believers continued to be hunted down and killed for their faith and obedience. Rome eventually recognized that this movement wouldn't go away, so they took over the faith by mixing their pagan practices with the way. Those who opposed Rome continued to be rooted out. The papacy ruled the earth and and steered the faith into pure apostasy. Once again, man-made traditions ruled over Yah's Torah, his law. Over the centuries, there were movements that broke away from this church. If you want to learn more about this church and how it steered uh, everything into apostasy, you can click this link. It's a video. So over the centuries, there were movements that broke away from this church, but man-made traditions still prevailed. That brings us to now and you. Who are you? Perhaps you were raised Baptist, Catholic, or Lutheran, or any of the 40,000 denominations. Maybe you were raised atheist, but now believe in the Son of Yahuwah, right? the Son of God, our Messiah. What if you're of Jewish descent? Does any of this matter? What is our identity in Messiah once we believe? And that is the theme of today's study. Abraham's seed. We will begin this journey with a promise given to Abraham. That in blessing I will bless you, and in multiplying I will multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven.' 
and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. Genesis 22:17-18. So Abraham was promised that through one of his future descendants, all the earth would be blessed. This is our Messiah. And through him, we may obtain the blessing and ability to become the children of Yahuwah, the children of God. This is the gospel. This is the good news. For you were all the children of Elohim. Again, the Hebrew word for God. You are all the children of Elohim by faith in Messiah Yehusha. For as many of you has been baptized into Messiah, have put on Messiah. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Messiah Yehusha. And if you be Messiahs, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So now we're going back to, right, in his seed, the promise of the seed of Abraham. And Paul is telling us who they are. Those that believe in Messiah are the real seed of Abraham. So Paul makes the bold statement that there is no separation once we become believers. There is no such thing as Jew or Greek, Gentile, for those in the faith. Let's see the Greek word here used for Greek. If you're reading the article, you can click on this link to go to the Strong's Concordance. However, here's a screenshot of that Greek word, which is Helen. It was translated as Greek or Gentile. Greek either by nationality, right? In a wider sense, the name embraces all nations that are not Jews, right? Gentile, Greek. This passage can be literally translated like this. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Messiah Yahushua. And if you be Messiahs, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Galatians 3, 27 through 29. So it seems pretty clear. It doesn't matter our background. We become one in Messiah through belief. But who are we? Right? Or who or what is this Abraham's seed? So he's saying we're Abraham's seed through faith in Messiah. So let's define who the seed of Abraham really is. But you, Israel, are my servant, Jacob, and whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend. So did you catch that? Israel, Jacob, is synonymous with being the seed of Abraham. Just in case uh, you really knew, Jacob was the grandson of Abraham, the son of Isaac. And through his life, one day he was renamed as Israel. He's, he's like, no longer is your, is your name Jacob, but you will be called Israel. And in you, right, shall all my, my seed be named. So Israel is synonymous with being the seed of Abraham. So the seed of Abraham is Israel. Those who are in Messiah are the children of Israel, regardless of race or race or ethnicity. If this is all new information and you're like, ah, this doesn't make sense, this is not what I've been taught all my life, stay with us, please. This is some vital information for the last days. It is also quite interesting, Messiah calls Abraham friend, something echoed in the gospel account. This is Messiah speaking to the disciples. You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you just like Abraham did. Henceforth, so at this time forward, I call you not servants, for the servant knows not what his master does, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my father, I have made known unto you. 
You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit. We're going to define this later. And that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. John 15, 14 through 16. Paul confirms this same understanding that those who are in Messiah are Israel. Let's take a look at Ephesians 2, for example. Wherefore, remember that you being in times past, Gentiles. So he's saying in the the times past, not now. You're not still Gentiles, but you used to be Gentiles. Remember that you being in times past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, Ephesians 2.11. Paul just confirmed that you used to be Gentiles in the flesh and and were called such by the Jews. That at that time, when you were Gentiles, you were without Messiah, being aliens or foreigners from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without Elohim, without God in the world, Ephesians 2.12. So before Messiah, sorry, before you Messiah, before Messiah, you were a foreigner, Gentile to Israel, having no hope. Me too. But now, so so now, currently, in Messiah Yahushua, you who were sometimes were far away are made close by the blood of Messiah. Ephesians 2.13. Well, made close to what? We already, we already defined that. At that time, you were without Messiah, being aliens far away or foreigners from the commonwealth of Israel. But now in Messiah, you who are sometimes were far away are made close by the blood of Messiah. Ephesians 2.13. So made close to what? Well, of course, the commonwealth of Israel as it was established in the previous verse in Ephesians 2.12. For, so this continues, for he is our peace, our shalom, who has made both one. What's What's both? And has broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Ephesians 2.14. What this is saying, in times past, there was a separation of Jews and Gentiles, but that wall of division was broken down by Messiah. Hallelujah. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances. The Greek word here is dogma. This is not talking about the law of the Most High. This is talking about man-made ordinances that separated Jews and Gentiles. For to make himself of two one new man so making peace so he took the jews and the gentiles put into one house that makes sense he broke down the separation between the two messiah didn't break down the law of yah again the shortened name of our heavenly father but the man-made rules the dogma look up at the look at the greek for yourself that created a separation of people now in him any who come to him will be accepted into the family of yah doesn't matter your skin color doesn't matter your race or the language you speak. It always was in his heart that all nations would turn from their idols and serve him alone. Consider these passages in the Torah. And if a stranger or alien or foreigner sojourns with you or whosoever be among you in your generations and will offer an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto Yahuwah, as you do, so shall he do. One ordinance shall be both for you of the congregation and also for the stranger that sojourns with you, an ordinance forever in your generations. As you are, so shall the stranger be before Yahuwah. Did you, did you catch that? So he's talking to his people, Israel. 
But he's saying if someone, a stranger, an alien, a foreigner, sojourns with them, lives with them, right, and does the same things they do, in his, Yah's eyes, they will be the same as Israelites. One law, one Torah, and one manner shall be before you and for the stranger that sojourns with you. Numbers 15, 14 through 16. Next passage. Neither let the son of the stranger or the foreigner or the alien that has joined himself to Yahuwah speak, saying, Yahuwah has utterly separated me from his people. Neither let the eunuch say. So he's saying, don't let, don't even think to say these things. Yeah, right. Neither let the eunuch say, behold, I'm a dry tree. For this is what Yahuwah says unto the eunuchs that keep my Sabbaths and choose the things that please me and take hold of my covenant. Even unto them will I give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than the sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Also, listen, the sons of the stranger that join themselves to Yahuwah. This is Old Testament times, quote unquote, Old Testament times, right? This is the book of Isaiah. Also, the sons of the stranger, or the alien, or the foreigner that join themselves to Yahuwah to serve him and to love the name of Yahuwah, to be his servants, everyone that keeps the Sabbath from polluting it and takes hold of my covenant, even them will I bring to my holy mountain. This is end times New Jerusalem. And make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon mine altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. Yahuwah Elohim. Right, so this is like the Lord God, which gathers the outcasts of Israel, says, Yet will I gather others to him besides those that are gathered unto him. And this is a very powerful, powerful verse, powerful passage, but this last verse is extremely important. We'll talk about it later. Isaiah 56, 3 through 8 is what we just read. Here we can see that his heart, see his heart that all would serve him. Remember, this verse here, as it will be revealed in Messiah's ministry a little later in the study, which he said, Yet will I gather others to him beside those that are gathered unto him. So back to Ephesians 2 and the reconciling of all people into his fold. And that he might reconcile both unto Elohim. So this is talking about Messiah reconciling both the Jews, right, or the Israelites, and the Gentiles, that he might reconcile both unto Elohim and to God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity, right? The, the, the enmity, the, the hostility that used to be between the two, Ephesians 2.16. The enmity or hostility that once existed between Jews and Gentiles was severed at the cross. And came and preached peace to you which were afar away and to them that were close, for through him... We both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Now, therefore, you are no more strangers. You are no more Gentiles. You are no longer Gentiles or foreigners or strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of Elohim. That is Ephesians 2, 17 through 19. This household of Elohim is none other than the assembly of his people, Israel. And we're going to prove that to you through scriptures here in just a moment. Now we're going to go to Romans 11 and the olive tree, the olive tree of Israel. So what does it mean in general and for people who are not in Messiah? Right, the Jews, for example, modern day Jews that, uh, that who to this day reject him as a Messiah. Are they still in the family of Yah? Are they still in this olive tree that represents Israel? I ask then, has Elohim rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham. Here, so here, Paul. Paul makes the same connection that the seed of Abraham, 
are Israelites. For I myself am an Israelite, the seed of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. Elohim has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he appeals to Elohim against Israel? Yahuwah, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is Elohim's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. So even in Paul's time, right? Romans, that was Romans 11, 1 through 5. Even in Paul's day, a remnant or a small percentage of the Jews believed Yahusha or Yeshua was the true Messiah and were preserved. However, the majority rejected him. What then? Israel obtained to, uh, failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. So the small percentage of, of Israelites right, obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, Elohim gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. Romans 11.8. How prophetic this is, because this remains true even thousands of years later. Most of the Jews still hardened their hearts towards Messiah, the Lamb of Elohim. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. And jealous they were. Just read the book of Acts. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Romans 11, 11 through 12. Paul mentions that salvation has been freely offered to all, and how much more so for those who it was originally intended for. Nevertheless, they must unharden their hearts and accept their Messiah to be in. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Romans 11, 17-18 Jews who rejected Messiah are the branches that were broken off. There is no salvation without him. Period. Regardless of what we've been taught all of our lives. Let us not gloat over this fact, but mourn for them, hoping that one day they might see their Savior and believe. Here's John 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, so live in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide or live in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, so people that don't believe in me, he is thrown away like a branch and it withers. The same thing Paul was talking about, the branches that were broken off. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. John 15, 1-6 The Jews of old and those in the present that reject Messiah is tragic. And not something to boast over, boast or gloat over as Paul rightly says. Nevertheless, the consequence of their rejection must be stated. It's also worthy to note that he mentions Gentiles who believe 
were grafted into the olive tree, which is unequivocally Israel. Yahweh has called you a green olive tree. Remember this, a green olive tree, beautiful with good fruit, but with the roar of a great tempest, he will set it, set fire to it, and its branches will be consumed. Yahweh Sebaot, which is better known as the Lord of hosts, who planted you, has decreed disaster against you because of the evil that the house of Israel and the house of Judah have done, provoking me to anger by making offerings to Baal. Jeremiah 11, 16-17. So this is the connection of making Israel is the olive tree. All right, let's keep going. If a Gentile is grafted into the olive tree of Israel, they become part of that tree, not some entity that is still foreign or Gentile to it. Back to Romans 11 and the olive tree. Then you will say branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if Elohim did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of Elohim, severity toward those who have fallen, but Elohim's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for Elohim has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Romans 11, 19-24 May Yahweh open the eyes of those who have been broken off, that they may be re-grafted in. Until then, which is talking about the Jews, of course, until then they are away from the olive tree of Israel. Keep in mind that there are no Gentiles in this tree. The devil is known for inversion, right? Flipping things upside down or taking the truth and flipping it upside down. Hear me out. If a Jew was broken off, listen, if a Jew was broken off from the olive tree of Israel and those who believe are grafted in, then the common understanding of our day is completely backwards. What am I talking about? Modern-day Jews are the Gentiles, out of covenant, out of the tree, and believers in Messiah are the real members of Israel, in covenant and in the tree. Furthermore, there is no gate in New Jerusalem which is entering the kingdom for Gentiles. And it had a wall, great and high, and had twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and the names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Revelation twenty-one twelve. So, if we want to enter into the kingdom, it will have to be through one of these 12 gates, being grafted into one of these tribes. Claiming to be a Gentile would not be to one's advantage when the kingdom arrives. Let's talk about the parable of the vineyard. This parable is actually why I named this ministry such. Our Messiah further expounds on this idea that he would break off those who remained in unbelief and unfruitful and, in, and place in their stead a fruitful nation. This allegory is known as the parable of the vineyard or also better known as the wicked tenants. Here, another parable. So this is a story representing the truth. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants, sorry, and went into another country. 
When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. This is talking about he sent the prophets, right? And they, they beat one, killed another. Again, he sent other servants or prophets more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. So this is obviously the Jews rejecting Messiah and crucifying him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. Yehusha, or Messiah, said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was Yahweh's doing. This is the Father's doing. And it is marvelous on our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of Elohim will be taken away from you. Who is he talking to? The Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Jews, were taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And indeed he was. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. Matthew 21, 33 through 45. Those that rejected the son were kicked out of the vineyard and in their stead were placed those who believe in him and who continue to bring forth fruits. We're going to, des- we're going to define fruits in just a moment. If you're like, well, what does it mean? Are they literally supposed to just be like, here, here's some apples? No. Remember what we read in John 15. Those who didn't produce good fruit would be broken back off. Keep in mind, the vineyard remains the same. It is only the people in it who are changed. To Esdras, this book, if you're unfamiliar, was included in the 1611 KJV, also in the 1599 Geneva, the 1560, and many other canons called the Apocrypha. This was considered scripture or canon until the mid-1800s when the dispensational movement removed it. So to Esdras further explains this mystery. What shall I do to you, O Jacob, Israel? You would not obey me, O Judah. I will turn to other nations and will give them my name, that they may keep my statutes. So it was always it had to do. And we know, if going back to the parable of the vineyard, if we read the Bible, he always sent the prophets because they weren't keeping his commandments. The prophets would come, hey, hey, amend your ways and your doings. And you will live here forever. Only keep my commandments. And of course they stoned him, killed him, beat him. I will turn to other nations and will give them my name that they may keep my statutes. Right? They may keep my laws. Because you have forsaken me, I also will forsake you. When you beg mercy of me, I will show you no mercy. Thus says El Shaddai. El Shaddai is um, the Lord Almighty. Your house is desolate. I will drive you out as the wind drives straw, and your sons will have no children, because with you they have neglected my commandment and have done what is evil in my sight. I will give your houses to a people that will come, who without having heard me will believe. Those to whom I have shown no signs will do what I have commanded. They have seen no prophets, 
yet will recall their iniquities, also known as repentance. I call to witness the gratitude of the people that is to come, whose children rejoice with gladness, though they do not see me with bodily eyes, yet with the Spirit they will believe the things I have said. To Esdras, also known as 4th Ezra, this Esdras is a, the Greek or another name for Ezra. To Esdras, chapter 1, verses 24 through 25 and 33 through 37. The former tenants were taken out, and we are the ones placed in the vineyard now. What are we to do? Going to do with it? This is why I named the parable, uh, the ministry, this, this this parable. We will will we walk contrary to his commandments as the former did, or will we bring forth the fruits he's always desired of man? This leads us to the very first psalm, which is a key indicator for interpreting so many scriptures. Right, Messiah. So many times Messiah talks about bringing forth fruit, bringing forth fruit. A good tree brings forth good fruit. Well, let's define it right now. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the Torah of Yahuwah. And in his Torah, or his law, does he meditate day and night. And he, so the person that does this, that meditates on his law day and night, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in his season. This is everything that that parable was talking about. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. Psalm 1, 1 through 3. This is how the entire Psalms begin. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So if we're his disciples, if we're really his disciples, we have to prove it. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Here's the kicker. He tells you how to do it. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. John 15, 8-10 What we are putting forth today is not to be mixed with and confused to be supersessionism, also known as replacement theology, which takes some elements of what we are discussing now, but adding many falsehoods creating an easy-to-destroy straw man argument. What we are deliberating today cannot be boxed into a modern-day theological package. We are sharing the truth of the Word and what it teaches, plainly. So we talked about some fruit. Let's talk about more fruit. It is commonly taught today that the works of the flesh that Elohim rejects is obedience to the Torah. People will say, oh, that's just works of the flesh. Here's Paul, Galatians 5. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things, these are lawbreakers, will not inherit the kingdom of Elohim. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who belong to Messiah Yahushua have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. That was Galatians 5, 19-26. Also, Paul, I didn't put it here in the study, but take a look at Romans 7. Paul calls the law spiritual. 7.12 or 7.14, Romans. 
Also, Ezekiel 36, um, I think it's 25 through 28, somewhere in those passages, the whole prophecy of why he gives us the Spirit is to help us walk in the commandments, in the law, the Torah of the Most High. So let's get further into this study of identity. But before we do that, we have to understand why did Messiah have to die? Gospel, gospel alert. Wee, wee. I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Matthew 15, 24. Messiah came to redeem his people and give an open invitation to any who would listen. As we mentioned earlier, Israel was married to Elohim, then divorced. Yet many questions remain. Was Israel married to the Father or the Son? Furthermore, why did Messiah have to die? This is the mystery of the gospel or good news that we need to understand. Before we can continue, we, recognize, we need to recognize who Israel was married to, the Father or the Son. This has been debated for centuries. However, we believe the answer to this is revealed in the Aramaic version of the Torah, much older than the standard Masoretic text. If you're unfamiliar, the Masoretic text is what the KJV, the ESV, the RSV, the TS 2009, um, uh, the Sefer, the Hallelujah Scriptures, many of our favorite scriptures today, and there's nothing wrong with it, um, but there are versions that are older than this manuscript. The Masoretic is a manuscript to which these translations are derived from. There's much older manuscripts uh, like the Septuagint, uh, which is hundreds of years older. The Aramaic version, it's kind of its exact date is unknown, but uh, maybe dating back to the time of the Israelites coming out of, um, coming out of Babylon in the 4th, 5th, 4th uh, century BC. So uh, with that being said, uh, before we get into this, we need to establish who Messiah is. And the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with Elohim. So he was together with him, together with the Father. And the Word was Elohim. So the Father, he is God, right? And the Word, Messiah, is also God. He was, now, is, there, is that saying that Messiah is also the Father. Well, hey, guess what? That brings up a whole other topic that we don't have time for today, uh, but we will share a study with you if you want to test what we currently understand. He was in the beginning with Elohim. So Messiah was with the Father ever since the very beginning. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made made. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And that's John 1, 1-3 and verse 14. So our Messiah is the Word. He was with the Father in the very beginning, and through him everything was made. For a better understanding of who Messiah is, please see these two studies. In this study here, Messiah, is he the Father or the Son? And identity, the angel of Yahweh, commonly known as the angel of the Lord. Messiah, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. John 1, 10-11 They should have recognized him, this is Messiah, as he was the very one the Father has sent and formed them from the dust. 
I do believe, so, well, you know, we don't need to get into this father-son topic today, but I do believe that it was Messiah who formed Adam from the dust. It was Messiah walking the cool uh, in the garden of the cool day saying, Adam, where are you? I believe it was Messiah that was on Mount Sinai with, with uh, Moses. I believe it was Messiah that appeared to Abraham, a Messiah that led them out of Egypt, Messiah that did all these things because Messiah himself said, no man has ever seen the father. So that means Moses didn't see the father. Who did he see? Well, it's up for debate, of course, but I do believe he saw Messiah. They should have recognized him as he was the very one who the Father sent and formed them from the dust. He appeared to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, and many of the prophets through history. He was with Israel from the beginning. So if we understand him to be the Word, well, what's it talking about when Jeremiah, in the book of Jeremiah, says, And the Word of the Lord came unto me, saying, right? And the Word of Yahweh came unto me, saying, I believe it's a literal entity. Sure, it could be an angel relaying the word, but he could have just easily said the same thing that, you know, Daniel said, and the angel Gabriel came unto me and said such and such, right? But he said, no, and the word of Yahweh came unto me, just like Ezekiel, and the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, and Abram was the son of ninety and nine years, and Yahuwah appeared to Abram and said to him, I am El Shaddai. Serve before me and be perfect in your flesh, and I will set my covenant between my word and you, and will multiply you very greatly. If we remember earlier, covenant was likened to marriage. So the marriage has been through the word at all times. And I have established my covenant between my word and you, and your sons after you and their generations, for an everlasting covenant, to be an Elohim to you and to your sons after you. Genesis 17, 7. If you're asking, you know, it says um, Yahweh appeared to Abram. We have to also remember, Messiah did clearly say that no man has seen the Father. That includes Abraham. Otherwise, that statement would be a lie. So if it is Messiah that appeared to him in the authority of the Father, because we know that Messiah is the express image, Romans 8, 28 or 29, so he is the express image of the Father. Right? Like like looking in a mirror, like when, when Thomas said, uh, show us the Father. And Messiah's like, why? You've seen me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so people would be like, ah, yes, he's the Father. But he is the exact image, like looking into a mirror of the Father. And I've established my covenant between my word and you and your sons after you and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be an Elohim to you and to your sons after you. Genesis seventeen seven. Echoed in the New Testament, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son. The Father, since the beginning, made a marriage for his son. Matthew 22, 2. It was our Messiah, the Word, who took Israel out of Egypt and made a covenant marriage with his people. Jude, know it, the writer of the, of the New Testament. Now I want you to I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Yahusha, Messiah, better known in today's world as Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Jude 1 5. Jude 1 5, you will look at the interlinear, look at the Greek. You can see here that it was Aesus, right? To remind you now, having known at one time that Messiah took a people out of the land of Egypt, having saved afterward those that did not believe, having destroyed them. The Greek is all jumbled up, but Jude plainly said that it was Messiah that literally took the children of Israel out of Egypt. If we were to believe that Israel was once married to the Father, but now with the Son, this would be against his own Torah law. A man shall not take his father's wife, nor discover his father's skirt. Deuteronomy 22:30. But why did Messiah, who was married to Israel, have to die? 
It's because his own Torah, his law, states that he cannot take back a woman who he divorced and was defiled through adultery. When a man has taken a wife and married her, and it come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes, because he has found some uncleanness in her, then let him write her a bill of divorcement, and give it in her hand, and send her out of his house. And when she is departed out of his house, she may go and be another man's wife. And if the latter husband hate her, and write her a bill of divorcement, and gives it in her hand, and sends her out of his house, or if the latter husband die, which took her to be his wife, his former husband, her former husband, which sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife, after that she is defiled, for that is an abomination before Yahuwah. And you shall not cause the land of sin, which Yahuwah your Elohim gives you for an inheritance. Deuteronomy 24, 1-4. So, uh, a woman who has defiled through adultery, right? The husband cannot take her back. Here's a small snippet from Jeremiah. And I saw for when for all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, and I had put her away and given her a bill of divorce. Yet her treacherous, suda, treacherous sister Judah feared not, but went and played the harlot also. And it came to pass through the lightness of her whoredom that she defiled the land and committed adultery with stones and with stocks. Jeremiah 3, 8-9. Here is where the mystery of the gospel comes into play. How would Messiah be able to take back his ex, his whoring ex-wife? Here's an amazing passage through um, Hebrews. But Messiah, being come in high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and of the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Messiah, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to Elohim, Purge your conscience for dead, from dead works to serve the living Elohim. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the renewed testament, or covenant, that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first covenant, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a covenant is, there must also of necessity be the death of the maker. For a covenant is a force after men are dead, Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the Maker lives, whereupon neither the first covenant was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the Torah, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and a scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the brook and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which Elohim has enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry, and almost all things are by the Torah purged with blood and without shedding of blood there is no remission it was therefore necessary that the patterns of the things in the heavens should be purified with these but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these for messiah is not entered into the holy places made with hands which are the figures of the true but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of elohim for us nor yet that he should suffer himself often as the high priest enters into the holy place every year with the blood of others. This is talking about the Day of Atonement, how they had to do every year for the forgiveness of sins. So he's saying that Messiah shouldn't have to do this all the time, but did it once. For then must he, have, must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, once, in the end of the age, has he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. 
And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Messiah was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Hebrews 9, 11-28 He came to renew the covenant with his people by his own blood, taking away sin and redeeming us, wiping the slate clean. While the blood of bulls and goats could offer forgiveness of sins back then, it never took it away or cleansed the conscience, as it said here in um, Hebrews 9. The people just kept sinning and slaughtering animals as a way of life. This is why the Father came to hate it. He detested it. Right, because they, 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 there was like an old saying. They just, you know, they'd keep a uh, an animal out there just ready, you know. So they said, "Oh, okay, I sin. I'll just go up to the temple and I'll just done." Through his own death, he was able to renew the covenant, cleanse us inside and out, and betroth his people once again to him. Just like he said, I didn't put it in here. Just like in Isaiah one, maybe eighteen, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as wool or white as snow. Hallelujah. It's worthy to note that some would ask the question of why Yahuwah, the Father, would allow human sacrifice for sins. A close examination of the sacrifices listed in Leviticus and other books of the Torah would reveal that nearly all the offerings were shadows and patterns leading to Messiah himself. Some are easy to spot, such as the perfect Passover lamb, the one without blemish, Right? He didn't have any sin, neither was any his bones to be broken, just like it was on the cross. Some are much deeper and harder to place, such as the cleansing in Leviticus 14 for lepers, or the red heifer, the, or the, um, more properly, uh, the adama, the land heifer in Numbers 19, and many others. If you would like to study these out further, we would invite you to study alongside us with our line-by-line -line examination of the Torah. We would be a whole another couple hour study if we talked to you about all the shadows and patterns that the sacrifices in Leviticus and other books was just a, um, a foreshadow of Messiah and his ultimate sacrifice that he made for us. So here's the link for that playlist of the Torah portions. Nevertheless, his death for sins was announced by the great prophet Isaiah. So there's some people asking the question, well, human sacrifice, show me that in the Torah. Where's that? Again, it was a shadow pattern hidden in the Torah revealed by the prophet Isaiah. There is no disputing the prophet Isaiah and his word. He is a, he was probably one of the greatest prophets. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of Elohim and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and Yahuwah has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Right? You can just read the gospel accounts and know this is who this is talking about. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opens not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, right? He was killed for the transgression of my people was he stricken. 
And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he has done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth, yet it pleased Yahweh to bruise him. He has put him to grief. Now listen closely. When you will make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of Yahweh shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities or their sins. Isaiah 53, 3-11. This is our Messiah. And praise be to our Heavenly Father for sending him. There are some out there who teach Isaiah 53 was not pointing to Messiah, but to Israel in general. In this video, this link here down below, we test that theory in depth. And as humbly as I can say, prove that wrong. Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. So if you're curious about that, to solidify that Isaiah 53 was in fact talking about Messiah, please see this video here. So we're getting towards the end of the study. Come home, lost sheep. We're still, we're still getting to the meat of who we are. So who are we? His sheep. Uh, his people, his assembly, or congregation. So it's what's interesting, actually. You know, a lot of people that have gotten into um, truth or topics, a lot of people make fun of, you know, sheep. Oh, we don't want to be sheep. We don't want to be sheep for the slaughter. Well, I'm here to tell you, I want to be his sheep. We're his sheep, his people, his assembly, or congregation, commonly called the church. Better defined as Israel. Let's take a look at the Greek word for church. The Greek word is ecclesia. Here's the Strong's Concordance link. Ecclesia. What's really cool, see this little thing here, the LXX? This is the 70. This is called the Greek Septuagint. Thanks to the Greek Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Bible, which is, again, a little older than the Masoretic, which we're used to, we are able to see how this same word for church, or ecclesia, was used in the Tanakh what people call the Old Testament. So actually here, I'll show you. Here's uh, for the for those that read. We'll actually go real time. We'll click on this link. And we'll see Ecclesia. Right? I don't know why it's cutting it off in here. But what's really cool is we can click this button here and we can see how the same word was used in the Old Testament. And all this assembly shall know that Yahweh saves not with sword, right? And the king turned his face about and blessed the congregation, this is the ecclesia of Israel. And at that time Solomon held a feast and all Israel with him, a great congregation, ecclesia. This is the church. And all the congregation, ecclesia, said that they would do this. So the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. And David said to all the congregation, to all the ecclesia, you can look at it for yourself. It was used... 77 times ecclesia this is the word again church so we can see congregation 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 assembly this is the assembly of people assembly of the israelites the church more accurately spoken as congregation or assembly is not some new entity it's not messiah did not put away israel and create a church 
right? That's what those are some of the falsehoods that uh, replacement theology teach, and that's not what we're that's not what we're teaching here today. Messiah did not put away Israel and create a church. The congregation, the church, the ecclesia, is the olive tree of Israel, as we covered earlier. It's the assembly. It's the congregation. It's the same congregation that David spoke to that we were seeing earlier. The congregation continued. The people in the congregation changed. Just like the vineyard. The vineyard stayed the same, but the people in the vineyard changed. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Ecclesiastes 1.9. So here's a picture of a tree and someone grafting in a branch. Regardless of where we, where we came from, what language we speak, what ethnicity or race or color we are, because this is another big area of contention out there in YouTube land, uh, that you've got to be a certain color to be Israel. doesn't matter where you come from or what color you are. Through him, we have the ability to become the sons of Yahuwah. But as many as received him, Messiah, to them gave he power to become the sons of Elohim, even to them that believe on his name, John 1, 12. Messiah, as we said earlier, came for his lost sheep. But he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Matthew 12, 15, 24. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and Yahweh has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53, 6. Again, our origins do not matter. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep, and I am known of mine. As the Father knows me, even so I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice. And there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore does my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I may retake it again. Remember this from earlier? I told you remember this. Yet will I gather others to him beside those that are gathered unto him. This is what he's talking about. And other sheep, right? He came back for his lost sheep, and other sheep I have I, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring in, that they shall hear my voice. And there should be one fold and one shepherd. This again was that breaking down of the separating wall that Paul was talking about in Ephesians 2. There is no such thing as Jew or Gentile in his fold. Plainly, you're either in or you're out. He laid down his life for us, that he might gather all that will hear and obey him. With this in mind, we will end with this point. Will you hear his voice because he said my sheep hear my yeah my sheep hear my voice so hearing his voice excuse me hearing his voice my sheep hear my voice and i know them and they follow me that's a bold statement let's read it again my sheep hear my voice and i know them and they follow me i'm not talking to him i'm talking to him follow me and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. John 10, 27-28 What does it mean to hear his voice? Modern day Christianity may have different answers for this question. However, in just a moment, we will see how the word defines it. doesn't matter what your pastor or anybody has told you before. Today, we are not going to give you opinion. We're going to tell you what the word clearly says what it means to hear his voice and if you are his sheep you hear his voice because i have seen and heard a lot of people say um you know i hear his voice i hear his voice but 
may not know exactly what that means. So in just a moment, we will see how the word defines it, hearing his voice, as this is a requirement for being his sheep. It is required that his sheep hear his voice. If his sheep do not hear his voice, they're not his sheep. As we mentioned at the outset of the study, the devil is the deceiver and has triumphantly fooled the people in the midst of a world full of deceptions, conspiracies, and outright lies. Not conspiracy theories, but conspiracy facts. And outright lies, there is one that is more subtle than them all. Consequently, this also happens to be one of the most important. He has successfully hidden the identity of who Israel is today. If the devil can successfully remove the identity of modern-day Israelites, then passages like this and many more are of no importance or relevance in their eyes. Wherefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations for a perpetual covenant. Look up the word perpetual for yourself. That means it doesn't stop. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days Yahuwah made the heaven and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. This is a powerful passage. This word sign is a Hebrew word ot, which also can mean mark. It is a mark between me and the children of Israel forever. There's a couple of mentions of marks in uh, in the Tanakh. You have the, the lamb, the blood of the lamb covering your, your house, which we know is a foreshadow of Messiah's blood covering us. That marks us in our head and our forehand. No, in our forehead and our hand. Sorry. Um, the Sabbath is known as a mark or a sign between us and him. Uh, the, the commandments in general, Deuteronomy 6. Um, Ezekiel 9 talks about those who mourn and weep for all the disgusting things and abominations done in the midst of their land. Um, what else am I missing here? The, the, anyways, but this is so important. The point is, I don't want to get into it, but anyways, it's interesting that those marks, the oat, the sign between our Heavenly Father and us is also on our hand and our forehead, much like the mark of the beast, but completely different. It might tell you, give you some insight as to what the mark of the beast is actually talking about. But my point is here, before I, before I start going off on another tangent, my por- the, the important thing is here, if we don't understand that we're the children of Israel, then verses like this, right, there's no relevance. Like, well, I'm not Israel. You know, if someone's like, well, I'm not Israel, I'm a Gentile. So this doesn't matter. This is for Israel. This is for the Jews. Which, by the way, we didn't really put this in the study, but the term Jews is not for Israelites. Jews was ended up being a term used for the inhabitants of Judah. When we told you earlier, when the two kingdoms split up, the, the ten tribes and the northern tribes and the, the two tribes and the southern tribes, the two southern tribes was Judah and Benjamin, and of course the Levites that stayed there too. Though the, that territory became known as those people became known as just Jews. And we saw earlier Paul, who was a Jew, he was a from the tribe of Benjamin. But that term Jews only encompasses those two tribes. That's not even talking about the other ten tribes, which were never called Jews. They were just called Israel or the seed of Abraham or his friend. So the point is, is if the devil the devil did successfully remove the identity of who Israel is today, calling you know, teaching them to call themselves Gentiles, that there's still the separation, which Paul and many others clearly teach that there is no separation between the, the two. You're either in Israel or you're not. Very simple. 
So this is one of the biggest deceptions perpetrated today. If you're convinced that you're not Israel but a Gentile believer, then false doctrines pushing the idea that the Torah or the law, the commandments, instructions of Yahuwah is not for you but for Jews becomes easy to carry out. However, when the clarity of our true status is revealed, verses like these, one we just read, and the Torah in general become paramount because there's all this verbiage that it doesn't go away. It's, it stays forever. Even our Messiah said that. Look, read Matthew 5, uh, 17 through 19. He's like, Think not that I am come to destroy the Torah of the prophets. I am not come to destroy it, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the Torah till all be fulfilled. Then he goes on to say, Therefore, those who break these least commandments and teach others to do so will be called least in the kingdom, which people say, Ah, see, they're, they're, they're in the kingdom. They may be least. You know, and people that are humble will be like, Well, I'll be least. But what you have to remember is when he comes down, the whole earth is his kingdom, inside the walls of New Jerusalem and outside. Keep that in mind. Furthermore, Messiah himself said that if we want to be the seed of Abraham, Israel, we need to do the same things that he did. If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. John 8, 39. Pointing to this passage to which Abraham obeyed the voice. So this whole thing we're talking about, his sheep hear his voice, obey his voice. Because that Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my Torah, my laws. Genesis 26, 5. New Testament. What they call New Testament. But will you acknowledge, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? I didn't say it. He did. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac, his son, upon the altar? Do you see how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed Elohim, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of Elohim. You see then how that by works is a man justified, and not by faith only. James or Jacob 2, 20-24. So continuing to talk about going back to obeying his voice. Let's define hearing or obeying his voice. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak unto the children of Israel. Exodus 19, 5-6. We see later that Peter quotes this verbatim in one of his epistles. And if we go back and realize that it was Messiah on Mount Sinai with Moses, Right? He gives the same thing. If you obey my voice, my sheep hear my voice. He's preaching the same message. Deuteronomy 13, also known as the Deuteronomy 13 test, tests a prophet. If a prophet comes and teaches you to go away from the law, the Torah that was given in Mount Sinai, then that person is a false prophet. So Messiah never came and taught against the, the law, ever. The only verses you can find that teach people to go away from the law are verses that are either mistranslated or misinterpreted from Paul's letters. Remember, 2 Peter 3, 15 or 14 through 17 or 14 through 18. Take a look at the end of 2 Peter 3. It's the only warning in Scripture that warns you about misusing other Scripture. Peter warns. They say, hey, our brother Paul, we love him very much. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. But he wrote some things which are difficult to understand. And people, some people are going to misuse those to their own destruction as they do other Scriptures. So back to obeying his voice. And said, if you will diligently listen to the voice of Yahweh your Elohim, 
listen, right? My sheep hear my voice and will do that which is right and give ear to his commandments and will keep all his statutes. I will put none of these diseases upon you, which have which I have brought upon the sorry, brought upon the Egyptians, for I am Yahweh that heals you. Exodus fifteen twenty six. When you shall listen to the voice of Yahweh your Elohim to keep all his commandments, which I command you this day, to do which is right in the eyes of Yahweh your Elohim. Hearing his voice is obeying his commandments. You shall therefore obey the voice of Yahweh your Elohim and do his commandments and his statutes, which I command you this day. Deuteronomy 27.10. There are many more. Seriously, there's dozens more that I could share, but this should be enough to get the point across. Messiah is the same yesterday and today. He was serious about keeping the commandments then and now. His sheep hear his voice and follow him. That's what the word said. This is not my words. What does it even mean to follow him? My little children, these things write I unto you, that you don't sin. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Yahusha, Messiah, the righteous. And he is the propitiation or atonement for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. Remember it says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. If we keep his commandments. He that says, I know him and keeps not his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoso keeps his word in him verily is the love of Elohim perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that says he lives in him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. First John 2, 1 through 6. So how did he walk? Well, of course, obedient to the Torah, the commandments, walking in spirit and in truth, walking in love. Some would say he's talking about some new commandments. Well, they'd be like, well, that's not talking about the Old Testament commandments. So we read 1 John 2, 1 through 6. Well, here's verse 7. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. As we mentioned earlier, Messiah was serious about sin. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Well, that's extreme. That's zero to a hundred. Whoever said Messiah doesn't care if we sin or not, I, I would encourage you, highly encourage you to reread the Gospels. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body going to hell Matthew 5 29 through 30 so that begs, begs the question right what is sin whoever whoever commits sin transgresses also the Torah the law for sin is the transgression of the Torah if we are his sheep we hear his voice and obey the Torah just as he did will any of us be perfect hardly and I'm not saying I am either I want to be especially as we begin this walk have we all broken the commandments? Yes. Nevertheless, this is not an excuse to continue to sin, right? So this isn't like a, oh, well, just because I mess up, I may mess up. Doesn't matter. Let the floodgates open. I'll just mess up and I'll just turn away from the Torah. And just, that's just not what he, that's not what he came preaching. So Paul says it pretty, pretty eloquently here. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Or no way. How can we who die to sin still live in it? The Bible just told you what sin was. It's transgression of the Torah. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Messiah Yahusha were baptized into his death? 
we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Messiah was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in death like his, baptism, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. End it. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Right? This isn't a, oh, I sin, you sin, we all sin, therefore we should continue to sin. No. We'd no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Messiah, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Messiah, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin, once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to Elohim. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to Elohim in Messiah, Yahusha. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to Elohim as those who have been brought from the death from, from death to life, right here, and your members to Elohim as instruments for righteousness. I am here to witness to you that I was a dead man. I was a disgusting sinner like a lot of us were. I'm here to tell you that I wouldn't even be alive right now if it wasn't for the grace and the mercy of our Heavenly Father through His Son. I am here to attest that Messiah Yahushua, the Son of the living God, the Son of Elohim, died for my sins, for your sins, for all of us. And that moment when we looked upon the cross or thought of, thought of, thought of Him dying on the cross for us, it's like, wow, you did that for me. You did that for us. Changed our lives, did it not? And the whole gospel is not to continue in sin. The whole gospel is that he freed us from the power that sin once held over us. Addictions, lusts, perversions, whatever it is, gone. Slate cleaned. Clearing the conscience, clearing the mind. Then we walk in a newness to him. But present yourselves to Elohim as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to Elohim as instruments for righteousness. We are to be children of Elohim, walking in his way, boldly standing for the truth, keeping the commandments as the former tenants did not. He's given us, he's given us the field. He's given us the vineyard. What are we doing with it? Are we bringing forth the fruits that he's always wanted from man and woman? Walking in spirit and truth. Walking in the commandments and walking in love. Walking in the fruit. Romans 6, 1 through 13. Even more simply put, afterward, Yahushua found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you are made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto you. John 5, 14. We have been made whole by our Messiah. Hallelujah. His words remain true for us now. Sin no more, lest a worst thing, worst thing come upon us. He forewarned us many times that the majority of those who would call him Messiah would be rejected. Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, or Master, Master, or Messiah, Messiah, have we not prophesied in your name? Let's not kid ourselves. Unbelievers don't prophesy in his name. And in your name have cast out devils, and in your name have done many wonderful works, and then will I profess unto them, 
I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. Remember he said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. We read earlier 1 John 2, 3 through 4. Herein is how we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that says, I know him and keeps not his commandments is a liar. Do you want to be a liar? Do I want to be a liar? No. It's time to keep the commandments. Israel. Yes, you, Israel. It is time to come back to the true worship of our Heavenly Father through His Son and the Torah that He gave us from long ago. With a renewed understanding, not with the man-made traditions that the Pharisees and Sadducees had burdened the people with. No, not that way. But the true way. Doing so in spirit and truth. With the fruits of the Spirit, as mentioned in Galatians 5. As we read earlier. He says here, I, I never knew you. Depart from me. Get away from me, you workers of iniquity. Look up that Greek word iniquity. It's anomia. It means to be without the law. Either because you're ignorant of it or you break it. We've all broken it, right? We've all broken it. There's a time we got to get up and dust our feet and start walking in the path that he's made for us. Messiah is the pathfinder. He blazed the trail for us. We need to follow him. Let no one deceive you. These people are believers that he's rejecting. Many who call him Lord, Messiah, or Master will be rejected at the door. That may seem harsh or contrary to the gospel of salvation you've heard all your life. That you just believe and you're in. No matter how bad you are or continue to be. Even so, please stay with us. This information is extremely important. Called, chosen, faithful. His sheep, right? Many sheep are called. Few are chosen. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a kingdom, a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and one off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. This is the beating of the prophets. And remember, the story is the same. And this is talking about a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. Israel was married to the son. Right? So they killed the prophets. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to the servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. Now the good news of the wedding of the kingdom is, is available to everybody. <clears throat> and those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. Matthew 22, 1-10 this parable might sound familiar at this point. It's another take or view of the parable of the vineyard. Those who were originally called to the wedding were not worthy and were destroyed. Right? That's the burning of Jerusalem, <clears throat> 70 AD. Then the king said that any who heard the message would be invited to the wedding, much like the good news of Messiah is freely available to all right now. <clears throat> Keep this in mind. This parable clarifies that the marriage intentions has remained the same since the beginning. We are blessed to be living in a time after the first coming of our Messiah, waiting for his return to pick up his bride. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. 
And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him out into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Matthew twenty-two eleven through 14 This is reality. Regardless of what is popularized today, anyone can call upon Messiah for salvation, yet not all will make it into the kingdom. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Revelation, Revelation 16, 15. Right? This is that person walking without the garments. And we saw earlier in that parable that were gathered good and bad. It got revealed who the bad was, those who had not on the wedding garment. Just like the parable of the wise and the foolish virgins, some were ready and some were not. If it doesn't make sense that you can be saved not but yet not make it into the kingdom that's the whole story of the exodus he saved them out of egypt by the blood of the lamb but in the wilderness they were tested and only the obedient were able to enter into the promised land same story remains today many are called few are chosen many are saved few enter only those who have faith and obey will enter Blessed are those who keep the commandments so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Revelation 22, 14 through 15. We are 100% saved by grace through faith. Nevertheless, there is a trial of testing and not all make the trial of testing. Just like the Israelites of old had when they left Egypt. To recap, they were protected or saved by the blood of the Passover lamb on the doorpost. Then they were taken into the wilderness of the desert to be tested. And you shall remember the whole way that Yahweh Elohim has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Deuteronomy 8, 2. The disobedient were not allowed to enter into the land. This pattern remains the same for us today. We are saved by the blood of the Lamb, Messiah, and are in the wilderness being tested now, whether we will keep the commandments or not. This is the same story all over again. There will be another gathering and separating of his lambs in the future. The church calls it the rapture, yet scripture defines it as the final regathering into the kingdom, commonly referred to as the second or greater exodus. As I live, declares Yahweh Elohim, surely with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with wrath, pure, wrath poured out, I will be king over you. I will bring you out from the peoples and gather you out of the countries where you were scattered. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with wrath poured out. And I will bring you into the wilderness of the peoples. Say, just like the same thing, right? And there will I enter into judgment with you face to face. As I entered into judgment with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt, so will I enter into judgment with you, declares Yahweh Elohim. I will make you to pass under the rod, right? That's how a shepherd separates the sheep. And I'll bring you into the bond of the covenant, into the marriage. I will purge out the rebels from among you and those who transgress against me. So he's going to gather a bunch of people. He's going to separate his sheep, right? Like a good shepherd does. And he will purge out the rebels from among you and those who transgress against me. Now listen to this. This is really interesting. I will bring them out of the land where they sojourn, but they shall not enter into the land of Israel. 
then you shall know that I am Yahuwah. This is in the way back in the prophets talking. This is an earlier version of Lord, Lord, enter. And the door was shut, right? The marriage started and the door was shut and people were left outside. They're like, whoa, why are we in? We believed. Get away from you, transgressors. Ezekiel 20, 33 through 38. My intention here is not to scare you. Well, if if this fear that you should actually you should be you should have fear of your heavenly Father of transgressing Him of not making it into the kingdom. I pray, if you're new, this stirs you up to seek Him out more than you ever have in your entire life. It's worth it. It'll all be worth it. The choice is ours to be His sheep who hear His voice or not. And He said unto him, Why do you call me good? This is Messiah speaking, of course. There is none good but one, that is Elohim. But if you want to enter into life, everlasting life, keep the commandments. He said it, not me. Matthew 19, 17. Some would say that Messiah replaced the Torah, the commandments, with two commandments. Loving Elohim and people, right? Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and others, your neighbor as yourself. Here are a few resources I'd recommend to you. First, what exactly the law of Christ is which talks about, which the centers on, on these two commandments, hang all the law and the prophets. Truly, all the law can be summed up into two. Loving Yahuwah with all your heart and soul and mind and loving your neighbor as yourselves. Basically what he's saying there, you can literally, and if you go through the entire Torah, like, like many of us have recently, is you can literally categorize every single commandment of the Torah into a box of either, like if you were like, uh, have index cards and like, okay, this one goes in this box, this one goes in that box. You can literally take each commandment and you can file one either under, okay, this is how I love God. This is how I love Yah. Or no, this is how, this tells me how to love people. Right? Yet most people are unaware of what scriptural love even means because people can say, I love God. I love God. People way back then said they loved God, but he destroyed them because they weren't loving him. They were doing with their own heart. They were doing the desires of their own heart. And that's, that should be scary to all of us. Our Heavenly Father, through His Torah, should be defining what love is. Because, I mean, look at the world around you now, how they define love. Love is love, right? Oh, love is love. And you can say, oh, that's extreme. We're not talking about that. Oh? Well, then, how do we define it? We have to define it by His Word. That's what this video is about defines love we can summarize it here a snippet i rejoice greatly that i found of your children walking in truth as we have received a commandment from the father and now i beseech you lady not as though i wrote a new commandment unto you but that which you had from the beginning that we love one another boom he tells you how and this is love that we walk after his commandments think about it think about the ten commandments having no other gods before him having no statues bowing down to statues, graven images, or even, you know, idols in your heart, not taking his name in vain, remembering the Sabbath day to keep it holy, set apart. I think those four certainly tell us how to love him. That's a good start. We love him by not having any other gods. We love him by not bowing down to statues. We love him by not taking his name in vain. We love him by keeping the Sabbath holy. He set it. He set the rules, not me. How about commandment five? Honoring your father and mother. Are your father and your mother your neighbor? I think so. How about not murdering anybody and not hating them in your heart? That's a great way to start loving them. 
not you know not committing adultery with your neighbor's wife and not lusting after your neighbor's wife and in your in your eyes and your mind and your heart that's a great way to start loving them not stealing their stuff not lying not coveting their stuff which leads to other sins i think those are great ways to love people and that's just the beginning and this is love that we walk after his commandments this is the commandment that you have heard from the beginning you should walk in it the beginning is the beginning of the book the torah Second John 1, 4 through 6. Furthermore, I didn't include it in the study. I don't know why. First John 5, 3. This is how we love God. If we keep his commandments. I messed that up. I messed that up big time. For this is the love of God, love of Elohim, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not grievous or burdensome. It's true. Lastly, we should earnestly take another look at John chapter 3, John 3.16, where the most popular verse in the world is nestled in, truly understanding the entire message of salvation. Because the, the message that Messiah is talking about, for God so loved the world that he, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall, have shall not perish but have everlasting life. What most don't realize is that speech still continues, and, he t and there's more to it than just believing in the historical character figure of Messiah and be crucified and then he rose again there's much more to the message that video is here very short these are by the way uh this is very short i know this one's like maybe 15 minutes uh, i think this one's like 12 or 13 minutes 16 minutes something like that these are very short videos by the way i know this one's long so let's wrap up this study with one final passage in deuteronomy 30 we have the prophesied evidence for knowing we are in the last days and who his people are and what they will do to enter into the land this we're gonna finish with this one and when all these things come upon you, are come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and call them to mind among all the nations where Yahweh your Elohim has driven you, and return and you return to Yahweh your Elohim, you and your children, and obey his voice in all that I command you today, with all your heart and with all your soul, then Yahweh your Elohim will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you, and he will gather you again from all the peoples where Yahweh your Elohim has scattered you. We're in dispersion now. If your outcasts are in the utmost parts of heaven, from there Yahweh Elohim will gather you, and from there will he take you, and Yahweh Elohim will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it, and he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. And Yahweh Elohim will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love Yahweh Elohim with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. And Yahweh Elohim will put all these curses on your foes and enemies who persecuted you. And ye shall again obey or hear the voice of Yahweh and keep all his commandments that I command you today. Yahweh Elohim will make you abundantly prosperous in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your womb, and in the fruit of your cattle, and in the fruit of your ground. For Yahweh will again take delight in prospering you as he took delight in your fathers when you obey the voice of Yahweh Elohim to keep his commandments and his statutes that are written in this book of the Torah, the law. When you turn to Yahweh Elohim with all your heart and with all your soul, and that's love. Deuteronomy 30, 1 through 10. So who are you? You are no longer a Jew or a Gentile, an atheist, or whatever you were. If you've called upon the name of Yahusha or Yeshua, or even if you've called upon him as Jesus, we're, we don't get into the names here. We just, we feel led to call him by what we believe was his true name when he walked this earth. If you call upon your, our Messiah for salvation and follow him, you are one of his sheep, a child of Yah, a citizen of Israel.
We believe the name is much more than a pronunciation. We believe his name is his character. It's his rules. It's his instructions. It's everything that he's revealed through his Torah, the prophets, the writings, through, of course, the, the direct revelation by his, um, our Messiah and his disciples. That's his name. And we stand boldly for his name. It shall come to pass that he that is left in Zion and he that remains in Jerusalem shall be called holy, even everyone that is written among the living in Jerusalem. This is after the separation. This is the gathering we read in Ezekiel 20 when he gathers his sheep. He has them pass under the rod. He sends some away. He who's left. Everyone that is written among the living in Jerusalem. Isaiah 4.3 With this new information and correctly understood identity, do not get puffed up. Like, aha! But continue in your walk in fear, trembling, lowliness, meekness, humility. Because it's only the meek will he guide in judgment, and the humble will he teach his way. Psalm 25, 9. Being meek sometimes does mean standing boldly for what's truth. But in the meantime, it also means, you know, someone wants to slap you across the face. And in our day, in the internet land, if someone wants to just blast you, like, you're a blah, 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 I'd be like, don't, don't tit for tat. Just, okay. The moment we get puffed up, well, let me tell you a thing or two about a name or the calendar. Or the blah, blah, blah. Chill. Meek. Lowly. Humble. Because it is those he teaches his way. Not the proud. Not the arrogant. Not the boastful. Not the loud. You can even see it when people type sometimes. Bold, bold. Listen to this. The last verse. Follow peace with all men, not just believers, all men, and holiness, without which no man shall see Yahuwah. Hebrews 12, 14. So further research here for you. Again, this uh, link is here for you with all the scripture we discussed today and all these links. Uh, further research. Dispensational theology teaches a continued separation between Jews and Gentiles, perpetrating bad doctrine regarding the political state of Israel. To learn more about the state of Israel, not to be confused with the nation of Israel, Yah's people, you, please see this playlist here. It's a short playlist filled with, I think, short videos. For more, more on the error of dispensationalism, which dispensational theology is what um, I think most seminaries teach today, which therefore means most pastors teach this, which therefore means most churches teach dispensational theology. Saying that like there's different dispensations and the law of uh, the dispensation of the law, the dispensation of grace, which people teach the dispensation of grace means the law is done away with and we're just saved by grace and just all we have to, all the only letters that really pertain to us are Paul's letters. It gets really wacky really quick. I, I don't, I don't want to be, excuse me, it gets really confusing really quickly. Um, so for more on the error of dispensationalism, please see this video. Uh, 119 Ministries, hey, great ministry. We may not agree on, on everything, but great ministry. Uh, I know John, great guy. This video is top notch for understanding the error of dispensationalism. For better understanding of how to walk in the Torah, the law, see this video. This is this will take someone who's brand new. Be like, okay, Adam, I get it. We need to keep the law. What do I do? What do I start? This is a good starting point. Like, how do I start today? If you're new to all this and have many more questions, 
please see this basics playlist. So if you're like brand new, you're just waking up, someone just shared this with you and you're like, man, I see some things in here that are pretty interesting. My pastor never taught me this stuff. It seems true. I don't know. If you want to continue to learn some of these basic precepts, this playlist, there's 23 videos. Most of them are short. There are some longer ones in here. Uh, but if you're like, if you're hungry for, for the truth and you want to learn more, there's, I don't think I have a better playlist on our, our ministry than this basics playlist. This would be the first place I'd go if you're brand new. So may Yahuwah bless you and keep you. Yahuwah make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Yahuwah lift up his countenance upon you and give you shalom, peace. This is what the priests used to pray over the children of Israel. So with that being said, brothers and sisters, let's end with a little bit of prayer. And um, we've got a couple of songs I'd like to share with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Yahweh Most High, we just come before you. And Father, we just bless you and thank you for sending your Son, Messiah Yahushua, that we may have forgiveness and eternal life and reconciliation and forgiveness. And thank you that he showed us the way of how to keep your Torah in spirit and truth, Father. For we do not want to be like Pharisees and Sadducees, but we want to be true disciples in the way. We want to be your wise virgins. We want to be the faithful. We want to be the good stewards. We want to be your sheep, your lambs, Father. So you teach us. Please give us understanding. Open the eyes and ears of anyone that may listen to this message. Father, we love you and we want to show our love by walking in the way continually, by honoring your Son, by walking in the commandments that you have ordained for Israel for all eternity. Father, we pray that we be found worthy and be able to escape all these things that are coming to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. We love you. May you bless your people, Israel now and forever. And in Messiah Yahushua's name, we do ask these things. Amen and hallelujah. Shalom, brothers and sisters. Again, if you want to see this study, if you want to go back and study at your own pace, just look at the uh, description box and pin comment uh, below, and I'll have the link there for you. Shalom, and uh, we're going to do a couple uh, music videos for you that I pray you can enjoy some good Hebrew music. Shalom.